Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Back to the Future 2. In the year 2015, I woke up for my 25th birthday in a field, but there was no flying car. No, and no hoverboard either. No. There were those weird ones that had like. Yeah, they're the... not hoverboards. They're just electric skateboards. Yeah, they made contact with the ground, did they? Yeah, yeah they still got a wheel. Okay, I, just... I, I didn't yeah. have a good look at one. I played on one at round one. Yeah, today's few, uh, today's film is Back to the Future Two, um, and I, I I was ten years old when this came out, and I, honestly, I didn't want the hoverboard because yeah. I every time I got on a skateboard, it just it went really badly. So I'm terrible at skateboarding. All I could do was sit on it and go down hills. Yeah, but I still want the hoverboard. Yeah, I, 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 the shoes were cool, which I guess you can get, but they, they don't self lace. But uh, yeah, this is um, kind of a kind of a weird one. Um, I mean, a very good weird one, a very iconic weird one. I'd say this is one of the weirdest big Hollywood sort of summer movies. It is a strange film, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's one you can get obsessed with, and we have a guest today who um, ringleaded some some obsessions with this film, doing uh, Project Eighty Eight, a early lockdown film in which a bunch of people would take a scene and try to remake it through various means. Um, he's also recently, as of this recording a few days ago, but as of you hearing this maybe a month ago, uh, <laughs> released uh, the last blockbuster, which is about the final blockbuster video. So hello, Taylor Morden. Hey. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. No yeah. problem. Yeah, I caught your I caught the project idea when it was happening. I almost thought about signing us up, but um, we're in Japan, and there there was no lockdown, and it just seemed kind of disingenuous to even do that. So my thought was, yeah, my thought was this is probably a guy to talk to uh, Back to the Future to about. So here we are. So everything worked out in the end. But uh, um, I, I guess I'll start with you, Taylor. Where, where did this film enter your life? Um, I would have been eight years old, a little, little bit younger than you when this came out. And I didn't get to see it in theaters um, for whatever reason. But as soon as it was out on home video, um, I remember my brother like renting it probably from a, a blockbuster. And we watched the first one and the second one back to back. And then, uh, you know, I, I loved it so much, but it ended you know, with that to be continued in the trailer for Back to the Future 3. And it was like excruciating. I can remember little, you know, eight, nine-year-old me not understanding that I would have to wait like a year or whatever for the next movie to come out because I was used to like only seeing movies on VHS tape where you just, okay, well, I'll just watch the next one. Jaws 1, Jaws 2, no problem. Jaws 3. 
Um, so it was the first time I remembered that like feeling of waiting for another chapter of something, like even as a little kid, because I didn't even understand like, oh, an episode of Ninja Turtles was on and I have to wait a whole week for a new one because there were reruns every day in between. So it's, right. it was like that. But yeah, I was, I was pretty young. And I do remember after watching it, my brother, who was 10 years older, so you know he was a teenager, convincing me that hoverboards were real <laughs> and that we, we lived an hour away from the closest toy store, but he was going to drive us in to go get a hoverboard because they're real and they have them at Toys R Us. And this whole drive in, I'm so excited and I was so amped to get this hoverboard. And when we got there, he like walked off and pretended to talk to the manager and came back and said, oh man, the government put out a warning, said they're not safe and they're not allowed to sell them to kids. <laughs> and, and he never, you know, told me that it was a joke. It was probably two years before I knew that that was a trick being played on me. Like I, I went back to school and told people, no, hoverboards are real. The government just won't let us have them. I was like this little kid conspiracy theory nut <laughs> walking around being like, they're real, they're real. <laughs> Well, That's I, I really think, mean. <laughs> I think a lot of kids thought it was real. Um, being a little older, I, I guess I got a little more of the buzz for this. I, I don't actually remember. I think we saw it opening night, but I don't have a firm memory of seeing it as I do with some films. But I know there was a network special about this where um, it, it was Robert Zemeckis or Bob Gale making a statement that really sounded like, yeah, the hoverboards were like a real thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Later kids, I found out that's where it came from. But I don't remember seeing that. <laughs> I think there was a government warning in the past few years about those almost hoverboards, though. So probably, yeah. Were the batteries exploding? Something like that, because they were lithium or something. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so he wasn't lying. He was just he was in the wrong time frame, as befits this movie. <laughs> so I was negative two when this film came out. <laughs> uh, so I actually, I didn't see any of them until I watched all three as a VHS box set. Um, so actually. This one is always kind of the one I would forget about because the first film and the third film are very self-contained films. Whereas this one is such a middle movie. Like, it's, they're going back to the first one. It all ends on the cliffhanger. So when you watch them all three together, I think this, you, this one is kind of forgettable. But, like, last night I watched Project 88 and taking it on its own, it does. there is a lot that goes on in this film. <laughs> it's the most bonkers. Oh, yeah. The um, most outrageous with the, I mean, it's got the hoverboards. It's got all of the stuff where Marty goes back to the first movie at the time in the eighties, when that came out, it was like revolutionary. Nobody had yeah, done yeah. that idea. Still, you don't see people go back. I mean, the only one I can think of was Avengers. Yeah. Which, where they had to reference this one. Yeah. yeah. They called it out and they're like, we're doing back to the future guys. <laughs> um, but still, like that concept, I love time travel stuff. And it was so cool to see somebody like the first one has time travel and it's great, but it was called Back to the Future and they never went to the future. There was no future. Right. You yeah. know, and then the second one, I, it was always my favorite because of the future stuff, because of that the 20 minutes at the beginning that takes place in 2015, the magical future era of 2015, because that were nostalgic. I don't know, the now. bright colors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the flying cars the bright colors all the cool like fashion the the double tie and the 
people still using fax machines. That came true. Oh, well, we live in Japan, yeah, so <laughs> they do still use fax we machines. We got a fax yesterday. <laughs> I was just asked for a fax number on a document wow. just yesterday. <laughs> still still okay. real. The way we roll around here is basically, um, I'm going to do just a quick plot summary, at which point, you know, everything is... You know, I mean, if you're listening to the Back Future Two podcast, I think you've seen the movie. But you know, uh, th- this is this is the point where there there are no where spoilers beware, I guess. So, Marty McFly has come back to the future to begin living in his new capitalist wonderland. Doc Brown suddenly reappears to take Marty 30 years further into the future to save his future children. Unfortunately, Marty's girlfriend Jennifer is also hanging around. She will have to be continually sedated and stashed away in inopportune places. In the future of 2015, Marty faces Biff Tannen's kind of cyborg grandson Griff and manages to save his future family. Marty's predilection to make a few bucks off of future sports statistics has horribly backfired. The book he bought of sports statistics has fallen into the hands of the aged Biff of 2015, who has now horked the time machine, had a joyride back to 1955, and handed that book on to his past self. Marty and Doc then return to 1985, only to find an apocalyptic alternate timeline where George McFly is dead, the school burned down years ago, and the crown jewel of Hill Valley is now Biff's pleasure palace. In a dangerous game of wit versus megalomania, Marty finds out that Biff received the almanac back in good old 1955, and Doc and Marty head back to the past to get the book away from Biff. Marty trails teenage Biff, and after a series of narrow misses and the same penultimate climax as the first movie, Marty steals the book and sets it ablaze. Now all Doc needs to do is land the time machine, pick up Marty, and return to the real 1955. Until lightning strikes, literally, Doc and the time machine are hit and instantly vanish, leaving Marty to hang out in the rain. At least until a Western Union man appears with a 70-year-old letter that reveals Doc is now happily living in the Rootin' Tootin' Hill Valley of 1885. To be concluded with ZZ Top. Okay. <laughs> that description was way too complicated. Yeah, oh, really. The plot of this movie is just—it's too much. I, I don't think you're supposed to think about it. I usually look at Wikipedia, right. you know, and in this case, I was like, you know, that's that's going to be too confusing. So I'm just going to have to go off of memory, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, because I, you know, I could have talked more about Jennifer. Eh, she's sedated. Let's leave it at that. We don't need to talk about the whole palace rescue and all of that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I saw in your notes you said, like, 
You feel like because they chained actress, they just decided they needed to hide her out of screen for the whole film. I mean, I guess they hired a better actress, but she's not better in this movie. No, she kind of... She plays it way too... Comic book. Yeah. Like, way over the top. Is this Elizabeth Shue's first big credit? I don't know her from anything but this, so... This is after Adventures in Babysitting, right? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, that's a good one, yeah. A couple years later. Okay, she's good in that one, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she really... Uh, was it leaving Las Vegas when her, uh, you know, actor fire really sets ablaze? Uh, Michael J. Fox, I guess, was pretty much on top in 1989. Yeah, well, um... Because the original was kind of an out of nowhere hit, right? Yeah, but he was whereas this time a he's star. like the biggest star in the world. Yeah, I mean he was making you know relatively bad movies at this point. They'd uh, you know make bank, so <laughs> this not being one of those. No, but, no, um, no. I remember. I, I guess when I was like eight years or nine years old and watching like The Secret of My Success, and I didn't get any of the jokes. So I hated it. Maybe I'd like it now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the only Michael J. Fox stuff I've really seen is the Three Back to the Futures. <laughs> But. So, um, uh, Taylor, I'll throw the, the question at you, I guess, uh, with a bit of a curveball. You, you've now had, like, um, like 20 actors on your, on your, in your editing room doing uh, Marty McFly. What, what's the secret sauce for Michael J. Fox, or what did some of those other folks get? Yeah, we actually, well, so for Project 88, we split it into 88 teams. So we had 88 Martys, I think, because he's in... I think he's in every scene. Oh, is he? Okay, I was, I was trying to speak us. Yeah, because the scenes are over a minute long. So even right. when they cut away and it's Biff, it's at least Marty or like one of his, um, like his daughter, which is Michael J. Fox and drag or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. old Marty. But yeah, I think we had 88 Martys. I, I did the voice of mine. I animated my sequence with cardboard. But so I... Oh, yours was the cardboard one. Yes. That was actually the one I was going to bring up because I, I really liked that. It was such a, I'd never seen animation like that. The weird, like, oh, when he's, like, chomping the leaves and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's pure necessity. Ah, well, it was really cool, yeah. That was... But, yeah, I think, um, well, nobody's ever going to be Marty McFly as good as Michael J. Fox, you know? There's that famous story about how they made, they shot most of the first movie with Eric Stoltz and then they had to redo it so it could be a good movie. Yeah. Um I don't know, but Michael J. Fox is Marty. So you saw in our version, you saw a lot of people just doing their best Michael J. Fox impression. And uh, I don't know, there's something really cool about that character and the way he is kind of, everybody is super relatable. Like there's nothing about it that's, it's like Doc is this caricature, this crazy wacky character that everybody can do a Doc impression. But Marty's like more, he's whiny, but he's regular. He's very Luke Skywalker. Like, right down the middle. Well, he's incredibly likable. He never feels like a loser. Even though the people always call him a loser, you'd still feel like, I would be this guy's friend. Yeah, that always seemed weird to me, like, in the, the first movie, more so when people are, like, giving him a hard time. Like, he's, I guess he's small compared to Biff, but he seems like a pretty cool, like, he skateboarded and played guitar. Like, where I lived, that was a cool dude. We never really saw him get bullied in his own time, though, did we? Yeah. Only in the 1950s, where he was kind of a freak. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I guess the reason we've never had a fourth or fifth or sixth Back to the Future is because you can't recast Doc and Marty. Like, the whole, the film is built on that chemistry. Making it with anyone else, it's just, why bother? Yeah. Yeah, they've done some animated stuff, um... 
but no, yeah, the video games too. But they they talked about. I think uh, there was a rumor floating around about a Tom Holland Marty, which could work. You know. Yeah, but it still wouldn't quite be Marty, right? Why do it? Just just do a different yeah. film with the same vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I I already bought him as Spider Man, and and we had a few before that. So yeah. Yeah. Michael J. Fox gets the Marty. Um, I I definitely like. Um, I guess Marty doesn't have so much. He doesn't have as much at stake in the other two movies. Like, the first one is, like... Uh, I, I was going to say, in 2015, I, w- I actually wanted to do the rewatch of Back to the Futures, and that's when I was still mostly watching films with my family, and my wife was like, no, our daughter's sick, she's too young for that, just because <laughs> of all the, the weird mom stuff in the first one. But, you know, Marty basically gets to kind of a vacation his way, more or less through... Uh, tensely in a, a vacation, but vacation himself through uh, two and three. I mean... He almost stops existing in the first one. Right. I mean, the stakes are <laughs> there. were some stakes, but... <laughs> well, theoretically, in the second one, the whole world stops existing yeah. and his dad is dead and everybody is worse off except Biff, right? If he doesn't fix it, that world that we see with the, the premonition of Donald Trump, yep. <laughs> uh, that, that crazy 1985, like if they fail that is what exists, but the stakes never seem that big to me because they have a time machine. They never address the fact that if they mess up, you just go back again and do it better. <laughs> well, I've heard like, that- oh, we can't get the sports almanac. We'll go back a day further and try again. I've heard the fan theory that this is not the first time Doc has uh, tried to save Marty from the top of that building, for example. <laughs> hey, I love that. The fact that the only way Doc could know when and where Marty was in mortal danger is if he died and then Doc went back to do it. So there's really, you know, however many dead Martys in the trilogy. Because <laughs> once we're feeling the thing with garbage, sure, why not? Oh, see, the first and the third, for most of the film, they can't use the time machine. Mm. So this is the only one where you have got that. Well, they could just go back. Right. But because this film moves at such a fast pace and you go through so many insane, like four different timelines, I never had time to stop and think to myself, oh, well, they can just redo this. I was always in the moment, which is probably how Marty's thinking. Right. And there's probably some really convoluted explanation. Like every time they go back and do it different, there's a new branch of the timeline. And if you do it too many times, it won't. Who knows? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> the, the time travel this movie holds together relatively well uh, for cinematic <laughs> things. I mean, most of it, it's it's not. You know, I mean, there's things like why didn't they like go with everyone else 2015? But they're whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Christopher Lloyd a little bit. We we've had a quite a bit to say about him and uh, between the uh, Back to the Future one and Star Trek three. I mean, he's always been on my favorites list anyway. So. <laughs> um, he goes. I, I, the thing I want to say about Christopher Lloyd that has not been said before on this podcast, at least, is I never quite noticed his Hawaiian shirt until this recent viewing. Well, it's a, it's the one that's covered in cowboys, isn't it? I don't think it's cowboys. It was yet. just like it was just like an insane Hawaiian shirt. I loved it. I wish I had. My yeah, name. it is cowboys. It's a premonition for the third movie because they made two and three at the same time. Mm-hmm. They never stopped shooting, so they, they got to throw in all the Easter eggs. Yeah, like you see um, Mad Dog Tannen and stuff. Hitting the, wrapping the, the date on the uh, time machine, of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 all that stuff. But yeah, Doc, that was my favorite part about the Project 88 remakes was everybody's Doc impressions were 
bananas, including <laughs> the ones that was actual literal bananas. Yep. <laughs> I'll say Christopher Lloyd's doc is bananas, which is the big part of the charm. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, it, and they never like there's no good explanation why an old disgraced scientist and a teenage boy are best friends. You know, they don't they never address the backstory there. It's such a crazy thing. I've heard the amplifier explanation, like Marty goes there for the giant amplifier, but it's it's a little weak. <laughs> to be honest, I feel like you don't need an explanation because the chemistry is so good. Yeah. I just believe these two are friends. Who knows how they became friends? <laughs> But I would say this one of the three, you probably see the least of them just being pals. Oh, yeah, three, definitely. In this one, they're just that. racing around and Doc's always, like, giving Marty orders. Whereas the first one... And, yeah. The first one and the third one, you get a lot of time of them just spending time together and being friends. Don't really get to see that in this one. But it's a sequel, so you can build on the relationship you've already seen in the first. They got Marty locked in the garage for like um, what would actually be a significant portion of the the time during 1955. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, the part I always remember is in the third one when they first meet back up again, and like they hug and everything. You really feel like, oh, these guys are really good pals, because you don't quite get that in this one. Get, getting past the leads, I, I really, I don't think Leah Thompson always gets the appreciation just how well she does every age. Mm. I mean, just. They're all really convincing. Um, you know, Crispin Glover in the first movie seemed a, a little off as the older George McFly, for example, but Leah Thompson always just nails it. Yeah. Yeah, her and I mean, Michael J. Fox, too, playing all the different characters. Maybe not so much his daughter, but, like, the difference between him and his son in 2015. It's Pretty good acting, I think. Yeah, it, it has less nuance, but it's still a lot of fun. Whereas... But you, you'll see the two of them, the same outfit, seconds apart, but you feel like, oh, these are very different characters. Right. Yeah, I, I guess that's actually a testament to the good acting, that when Griff like kind of responds to Marty as Marty's son, I'm like, nah, come on, he should figure this out. That's a time travel thing. That's the same <laughs> <laughs> Just because he's so different. Yeah. Um, it, and then Tom Wilson... I. It's like he's so good as Biff, and he hasn't. I know he had like a bit of a stand-up career, but he didn't really do much acting outside of Back to the Future. Yeah, he's the PE coach on Freaks and Geeks, which I love that that series. But yeah, that's a great I haven't one. seen him in much else. But he's amazing. He's the unsung hero of all these movies. I mean, all of his characters are so different. You know, Biff, Griff, old Biff. They all do such a good job of, like, I really want to see this guy get his comeuppance. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's fun to watch. You don't hate him in that way, but you do kind of hate him. You love to hate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just, I, I love the contrast that, you know, most of the acting choices makes for, for Biff or Old Biff, like, they make sense as acting choices, where every acting choice for Griff is absolutely insane. Yes. <laughs> so, I... Do love that. <laughs> well, in Back to the Future 2, I think it's the only one that has all of them, right? Yeah. There's there's Biff at the very beginning, then there's Griff, then there's old Biff, alternate Biff, and the little cameo of Griff. Yeah, and a, oh, a Mad, Mad Dog. dog. Yeah, 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 Flash of Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell you what I don't get. So Griff is Biff's grandson, but the, the adult Biff that we see is so pathetic. How did he have a kid? 
Let's see, Griff's <laughs> about 18, so that would have been like 2000, right? So yeah. something happened, and I guess after that, when, I, I, there is a very dark, I don't know if they shot it or not, but I think there's a scene where like Lorraine actually murders Biff, which is why he's clutching his, oh. having a heart attack getting out of the uh, time machine in 2015. Like The idea is something horrible does happen, well not horrible I guess, but something happens to that Biff, He's and in, in, right. in, in, the insinuation I think on the screenwriting was that he was actually like murdered by Lorraine. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, because we... Like, at the end of Back to the Future 1, we see what became of Biff, where he's like, Oh, yeah, Mr. McFly, I'll wax your car. Right. How did that guy get laid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because that would be the Griff. Because yeah. that's the Biff that would have made Griff, right? So <laughs> We jump from him in 1955 being, like, publicly known as an attempted rapist. Yeah. Right? They let him out, and everybody knows. So that's his life there. And then the next time we see him, he's this feeble old man and somewhere in between he had a family and grandchildren i don't know yep there's there's a romantic comedy to be made by someone <laughs> <laughs> a 60 year old biff and <laughs> biff <it> with biff <laughs> biffin with biff biffin with biff there we go that's a good one hey i want to give tom wilson another role there it is yeah I think it's one of the few things where the actor like often gets like publicly accosted for being Biff. I've heard him tell in his stand-up. I mean, he's making a joke of it, but you know, when people see him, they're like, "Oh God, it's Biff!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't um, Walter Peck from Ghostbusters have the same thing? Yeah, I think so. I couldn't go in a bar for ten years. <laughs> see, at least Biff, he went in like all in, right? That you yeah. know, Walter Peck. I mean, that that was a, that was one or two scenes. <laughs> Tom Wilson had a thing. I don't know if he still does it, but for a long time, he didn't want to talk about Back to the Future and he would carry business cards with him. And if somebody would ask him, he would hand them this card and in tiny, tiny print, it would just be like frequently asked questions. It would be all the answers of like, yes, Michael J. Fox is really nice. Blah, 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 blah. No, I didn't blah, blah, blah. And then the makeup was blah, 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 blah. But it was all printed on a tiny card so he could just hand it to people so he wouldn't have to talk about Back to the Future. I haven't seen the business card, but he did put out, I saw a video on YouTube where he did a little song where he answers all the frequently asked questions. I've seen that one. Yeah. Um, are there any other major, I, I think that covers most of the major roles. Uh, of course, we want to cover Crispin Glover, but he, Glover, Glover, but he didn't want any part of this one with the uh, capitalist utopia of the ending part of the Part of me is, it is a little messed up what they did. The upside down old. Well, just that he's like, I don't want to be in this film. They're like, well, we're gonna put you in it without your. That was a little, a little. Because they put like they have like the fake upside down Chris Big Lover, then they have you reusing old footage. The old, well, the, the upside down one is, you know, that's that's forgivable, but yeah, I mean, but like they, you still like they're hoping the audience thinks it's still Chris Big Lover. Yeah, they're trading on him being in the film when he doesn't want to. It was clearly their intention was to yeah. fool people. And they even they even went so far as the the guy who plays uh, George in two actually did a cameo in our Project Eighty Eight. That that uh-huh. actor name's Jeffrey Wiseman. He's a super nice guy. Um, but yeah, when they cast him, he doesn't look that much like him. And what they did is they had molds of Crispin Glover's face from the first one, from when they did the old age makeup, mm. and they actually put latex on the other actor's face. It's basically a mask of Crispin Glover which is then when there was a huge lawsuit that Glover won. And then since then it's never been done again. So it's the only time in Hollywood that somebody did a prosthetic against the actor's will. And then Crispin still gets royalties, I believe from Back to the Future 2 because he sued. 
<laughs> for using his face without his permission. I love this movie, but yeah, that that is a legitimate lawsuit. Just I don't want to do it. And then <laughs> it's also it's a little bit of a dig at Jennifer's actress that they could recast her, but they couldn't recast Crispin Glover. You can't recast Crispin Glover. <laughs> Right, yeah, they recast. It was Claudia Wells in the first one. Yeah, they even like reshot the ending with the new actress. But Chris Glover, like, no, no, we can't do that. <laughs> Basically, what we did, but they did it first. Yeah, just a shot, a shot remake. And they they had no room for for no margin of error. They had to trick people and think it was the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this this is one of the most fun movies, I guess, to get into about the design. Uh, mostly that, I guess, being the 2015. Just one of the most iconic, futurist, now future retro movies that you can come across. <laughs> yeah, it's a really... Just like philosophically, it's a really strange future. Because what is going on is a pretty, like, Blade Runner, capitalist hell future. But... Everyone seems to be loving it, so it's fine. <laughs> I guess that's cool. Like, you've got, there's like adverts everywhere. People are, they don't go outside. They have it on a TV screen instead. <laughs> like automated Pepsi machine robots and stuff. But no one seems bothered by it. Everyone <laughs> seems to be enjoying this cyberpunk future. Well, they, they are video game land now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I, I guess... Watching it this time, I was like, "Well, they they predicted, I guess, '90s design pretty well." Yeah, very very bright colors, ridiculous baggy clothes. My my hometown is um, Atlanta, and we we only had it for maybe two years. It was just this ridiculously large. It was uh, like electronics and mega store called Incredible Universe. Um, it's like like stacking ten Best Buys on top of each other, by each other, and the whole store, just the whole place, felt like. Hill Valley 2015. It was great, but that that was nice. 95 or 96. So, <laughs> do when I picture like 90s clothes, it's like the sort of things the Power Rangers would wear, where it's like real baggy pants, like a shirt that doesn't cover your midriff, <laughs> sideways baseball cap, stuff like that. Neon colors. Oh yeah, color coded. Got to be on green fishnet top. Yep, yep, yep. All right. <laughs> Rave clothes, basically. Yeah. That's my vibe. So I guess, um, what, what kind of things happen when people are trying to recreate that kind of design feel doing, doing the Project 88? Well, it's interesting because we were limited. It was early in the pandemic and people didn't know. And we, we really didn't. It was before they told us to wear masks and everything. And we didn't know people were still wiping down their groceries and stuff. So people didn't leave their house mostly to make this. So it's not like they would go to a thrift store and buy outfits or, you know, whatever. So they would, people would like just color on stuff with markers and make whatever, or uh, there's crazy stuff. Some people did have yellow trench coats for whatever reason for doc, Um, but it's all over the place. It was a lot of just like repurposed clothes that were kind of the right color or kind of the right, shape but also a lot of stuff just made out of crafting materials paper and foam and markers and real diy but it it is interesting with the fashion too because it a lot of that stuff has come back now 
look at real young people now, I assume also in Japan, but like that 90s bright color and the crop tops and the weird pants and the high-waisted jeans and all that stuff, even those Nikes, like they made them for real. It's all kind of available in the world. If we weren't in a pandemic when we made the remake, you could have bought most of those outfits, you know, at Banana Republic or wherever they sell clothes. Yeah, my uh, my sister's 16 and I was video calling her the other day and she was dressed exactly like a Battle of the Future character. <laughs> she had this real brightly colored knitted jumper, like crop top, jeans, a lot of so They were only things. off by about five years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. In 2015, that wasn't back yet. No. But now, now it's totally back. So they, they were close, but not quite. Yeah, Japan's a little more of a crapshoot. I mean, I, I've gotten in the um, the elevator at a department store with Pikachu before, and it like wasn't a holiday or anything. Grown grown woman, full Pikachu dress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, in all aspects of culture, Japan is generally five to ten years behind. So <laughs> we might get there eventually. And then accidentally, like five to ten years ahead in a different way. So yeah, <laughs> they just do their own thing. You know, the robot gives you the facts, right? So yeah, robot <laughs> gives you the facts. That's the perfect analogy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Any. This is. I guess question for everybody. What's your favorite little bit of uh, weird future design in this one? I like the jacket that like dries you and adjusts and stuff like that. I want one of those. <laughs> oh, I love that robot voice. That's that's the eighties robot voice to me. Um, Short Circuit uses it a little bit as well, and that voice is so nostalgic to me. <laughs> your jacket is now dry. Your jacket is now dry. Yeah, for me, it's it's hoverboards. See the... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, just, I hadn't even seen it. Oh, yeah, we got nice. our images almost on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, that was always... I, for whatever reason, and it's fully like the hot pink and yellow aesthetic. I didn't like, you know, the Pitbull and the, the other hoverboards that we see. They were too, I don't know, Trying cool. To cool. I like the hot pink that. little girls... Mattel hoverboard. I thought that was the coolest, the visuals of it, and then just the, the functionality and also the sound design. Like what a hoverboard sounds like when they throw it down and it starts floating. Yeah, that's a nice lightsaber. It goes. Yeah. It's kind of like lightsabery. <laughs> but I th- hoverboards are just super, super cool. And I know they've they've done like research and made ones that'll work on like a magnetic surface and. Very smart people have put real time into trying to make hoverboards, <laughs> and they're just not quite here yet. I used to have some of the the place in the city around Hill. I guess Hill Valley is a town, but um, like the weird Texaco station. Of course, all this is like product placement too, with that and and the jaws. See, the and- product placement is really over the top, but doesn't bother me at all because it feels appropriate. You got a Pepsi right here. Well, I deliberately chose a Pepsi today. Yeah, although I've got the um, caramel flavored Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> the um because you have you see like 1950s pepsi 1985 pepsi and then 2015 pepsi so all the product placement feels like it's there to serve the story not like shoehorned in <laughs> the other thing around the town just I, I i've noticed it since 1989 and there's one they spill past one part near hill valley and i swear it's the set from uh the original planet of apes movie <laughs> it's <laughs> it like one right. shot of it and every time it just sticks out to me like isn't that <laughs> 
the Ape City for the first one? I mean, you could well be right. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the same set anyway, but that one always just has always stuck out to me for some reason. So. I know Young, oh, sorry, Marty's son orders a Pepsi Perfect. Did they ever bring that out? They had Crystal Pepsi. Right. <laughs> I feel like that would have been a, the sort of thing they would do is deliver. He's going to go get one, isn't he? Oh, <laughs> oh Pepsi Perfect, maybe. <laughs> Let's see. It's good. Uh, uh, if you're listening audio, there is probably some video. It's somewhere. Nice. All right. <laughs> 2015, the actual date, um, not only did USA Today put out the actual newspaper Magic. that fans like us could go buy, it was what was on the newsstand. It said, you know, youth jailed or whatever. The, the same newspaper, but also Pepsi released and they actually didn't ship, I think until 2016, but you could order them on the date and they, uh, they cost $19 and 85 cents for 1985. <laughs> and, and I got one They're super rare now because they did not make a lot, but this was what the Pepsi perfect came up out of the thing. Amazing. Yeah. His Pepsi is more impressive than your Pepsi. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Although I bet the Pepsi itself has gone pretty bad at this point. <laughs> don't drink, you don't take it out of the box. <laughs> see, I, see, that's the thing. I would buy two so I could drink one. <laughs> now, yeah, that's very cool. Wouldn't it? it was one of those things like like trying to get a PlayStation 5 now where you had to be like on the website at the time. And they yeah, said, like refresh, refresh, refresh. I've only ever had that for gig tickets, but... Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the 2015 design, which is nostalgic and nod and it's future retro but uh so, wait, wait wait we didn't ask you matt what one piece of the future do you want oh that's what i was talking about those just weird storefronts with the texaco okay yeah. you just want to go to yeah it. i just i just want to be i want to hang out in that town okay uh, fair enough <laughs> in the alleyway um the there was like garbage but it was all it was just laser discs cubes of laser discs <laughs> and it was like at the time nobody had laser discs nobody and they really went hard on the fact that in the future, garbage is just going to be laser discs. <laughs> We're going to fill our alleyways with... I guess a lot, a lot of the laser discs probably have gone to garbage. Yeah, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't that wrong. Like, around 2015, everyone was throwing out their discs. It's 1992. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm sure there's still a few laser disc aficionados out there somewhere. Oh, especially here. <laughs> They're probably still putting up films on laser disc in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned um, this. This is not a different movie, the Soviet Solaris. I was like, oh, I had that on VHS, and I couldn't even watch that now. Okay. <laughs> There's one of the one of the stores here. They've got a really old Super Mario cartoon on VHS, and every time I'm like, oh, I want to buy that, but I don't know how I'd watch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's still sat on the shelf. Um, just a little more on the design. We we got to go back to 1985 as well. Um, for me, uh, I, I'm from the southeast, and Biff's Pleasure Palace just kept making me think of like Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is it's fun, but it's slightly sleazy and it's slightly redneck. <laughs> and uh, they have museums just like Biff's, you know, Museum of Biff. So they got the Ripley's Believe It or Not museums, Guinness Records, all that. So uh, that's kind of fun. It, it has that South. East trash sort of vibe, which, yeah. <laughs> well, Taylor, you mentioned earlier that it was kind of a prediction of Trump, and I think they've said that was kind of deliberate, right? Yeah, at the time they said it was based the the way the character looks and acts, and the way he's like a mogul mm. was was kind of loosely, I guess, based. I mean, the hair you can't right. 
<laughs> Trump was pretty well known in the 80s for, of course, very different reasons. But because I remember in the comic strip Bloom County, that's how I became familiar with Trump in the first place. Because uh, Bloom County would office, often make fun of him. So <laughs> but could you have like, like a board game that was popular back then? Because like, there was like, already like Trump Tower and it was... He's got the book, the art of the deal. Everything yeah, I mean, was his brand. Because yeah. my wife's Japanese, so when... Trump first came on the scene. She's like, "Where did this guy come from?" I was like, "He's actually been around for a while." <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you go back and watch Home Alone too now. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, a weird one. Cameo's right? real weird. I, I, I just watched it, and it was rough. The <laughs> moment is hard to watch. Uh, so Biff is definitely a better way to uh, get into that vibe because um, he's just the the most extreme possible version of that, which does resonate more or less today. So, <laughs> well, this is. I mean, I guess Mad Dog, but he's in the Wild West, so it's different. This is the most evil we see him, because he literally tries to shoot Marty. He tries to shoot Marty. He engineers, you know, the basically the apocalypse. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, he has murdered George. He did murder Marty's dad. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. So that, yeah, that alternate 2015 is really dark. <laughs> it's just the film doesn't let you dwell on how dark it is. Oh, 85. Who knows how dark the alternate 2015 got? Oh, did I say 2015? Yeah, I meant Yeah, I would like to have seen that too, though. Well, we lived in the alternate 2015 and it was pretty dark. So. Yeah, instead, instead, of Mar- instead of Doc just telling Marty it wasn't going to work, they should have checked it out themselves for a moment. But yeah, that would have upped the budget another $5 million, so I'm sure that's yeah. why they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess let's let's see where this film sits today a little bit because it's one that, like you said, it's a middle movie. Like as a movie itself, it doesn't quite hold up. But like one is completely in the pop culture, and everyone's just like cultural makeup. If you're at least if you're from the West, you know, three is not quite forgotten. But a lot of people, are, oh, really? The third one's a western, but two has basically kept its place in in the front despite being that middle movie especially those first 20 minutes those future scenes are still really popular and everyone talks about the hoverboard people forget that most of this stuff isn't from the first film right (laughs) because you think back to the future you think hoverboards you think don't call me chicken all this kind of stuff yeah you think flying delorean even though yeah yeah yeah, that's only right at the end yeah only in 10 seconds at the end of the first one but everybody pictures the delorean as the one from two Right. The misdiffusion and the flying, the hover conversion. Yeah. So you, you were talking about being mildly um, dystopian, but is, is that the future that we wanted back then? <laughs> I think, pe- well, like 1980s was peak, like Reagan era, capitalism's great, it's all going to trickle down. We want technology, we want consumerism, we want product. So I think this was the future people wanted. Says the guy who wasn't born. Yeah, <laughs> like, except again for Chris McGlover, who hated the idea that Marty's happy ending would be like a capitalist utopia. Right. <laughs> so that, that's kind of weird, but yeah, yeah. I wonder if it is something about the wandering of this film, because usually a movie, it's just it's got a set plot, we follow the set plot. This movie basically barely has a plot. It has lots of mechanisms. Well, it has, it has like but... two plots. It resolves one and then starts a new one. Yeah, but it just... It, it's sort of like you just kind of get to wander around and explore the universe in a way few movies let you do. Yeah, it, 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 
the plot is less important than the places and the characters, mm. and it takes time to enjoy them. Which I yeah, it's he goes back nice and visits the first movie in such a fun way where it's like, you know, we're going back back to back to the future, right? They go back yeah. into it and you spend the whole third act and there's two Martys and it's like the novelty of it you almost forget that nothing's really happening and all they're just you're just <laughs> watching the first movie from a different point of view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the critique against a lot of sequels, and this one just like owns it and runs with it. <laughs> like, oh, you want another one of the first one? Well, what if we just move the camera right over here, and there's another Marty? <laughs> yeah. Well, this, also, this set the template for how sequels are made now, because these days it is one film, then you make two sequels back to back. And this, I feel like this, this is the first one that did that. It might maybe be. Star Wars, but no, no, they Star are three Wars. years apart. Mm. But he was making them solidly, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I... Different directors and everything. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Because these are definitely more of a piece. Same screenwriters, same directors. I mean, most... I, I don't know how much of the crew is the same, but I imagine... Well, between two and three, it's the same crew, but... <laughs> well, yeah, so much so that it ends with that trailer and it has Mad Dog in it and stuff. That... And that was the other thing, too. They It was one of the first times where they put all those, like, clues and Easter eggs in the second one because they were already making the third one. It was written, and they had started shooting... So right. they could go in and be like, oh, let's do a nod. Let's put this whole exposition about Mad Dog into two. And then it'll really feel like they're connected mm. when really, you know, it's like you just take one movie, split it in half, and then they'll feel very connected. It's kind of cheating. <laughs> Although it doesn't do that as badly as some films do. It, because two and three both do still feel like films. Yeah. Two has its own plot and it resolves it and then throws in a cliffhanger. And three is its own standalone film. Whereas sometimes these days it does feel like the second one is literally half a film. I've heard the idea put out that the trailer at the end of this one, at least in 1989, was a mistake. Would it be like a stronger ending just to be concluded, boom, right to credits? Or do we need that just little glimmer of hope since we just got a night, uh, such a dark Empire Strikes Back ending? <laughs> well, also the whole, like, maybe it was useful because it pre-warned people the third one is a Western. That probably need a little warning, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, the cliffhanger, I think, would be stronger without the trailer. Yeah, I think it, it was a very interesting marketing idea at the time because I don't think anybody had ever done it to where... Like, nobody puts out a movie and already has the trailer cut for the sequel. So, like, why not show it to people? But I think they should have done it maybe only in the theaters. Yeah, or maybe after the credits or something. Yeah, and, like, it's part of the movie. So much so that we redid it in our remake. But yeah. it's like, why is that part of the movie? Why isn't it an optional thing? Yeah. You know, like, after the credits would have made a lot more sense because it's so weird and it's so total tonally it's like there's some goofy stuff in that trailer there's like the spinning guitars and the zz tops and stuff yeah. in that trailer which is like we just saw doc get hit by lightning and marty's gets this heartfelt letter that says don't come back for me and then all of a sudden like what the freaking <laughs> Yeah, wacky it's, trailer it's not even a serious trailer i also i forget it's there every time i watch the film 
Because the, the cliffhanger is really strong, and I'm like, wow, what an ending. Oh, yeah, here we are, trailer, bizarre. Oh, just just a little note about the uh, state of, of Japanese drama. Um, Japan has, uh, the, the government TV has the Asadorts, the morning drama. And it was on this morning, my father-in-law was watching it. And it actually ended with an orchestrated, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, that's the worst <laughs> ending for anything ever. <laughs> so you didn't just do that. <laughs> So that's that's why I had that. So Back to the Future's trailer is definitely better than that. Jeez. Well, um, when I used to watch Doctor Who on TV in the UK, they would do this every week. They would have the cliffhanger, and then show you a trailer to the cliffhanger being resolved. Yeah, <laughs> but at least they at least did put it after the credits, so I knew to just switch off if I didn't want to see it. I but do watch the that uh, here too. I, I do watch the the next episode on Star Trek Discovery thing. I don't know if I I've heard some people that definitely skip it. So. Yeah, I don't watch next episodes on anything. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll do. That. See, I, I guess I'm old school enough to have. I want that little taste, but but so. I, I don't even like to watch movie trailers anymore because as a ten so year old, I love that they showed us the trailer like before the credits. Right. I'm just now. I'm like it is a more effective ending if you're just to be concluded. So yeah. <laughs> well, and, it, and at the time that's part of what made me so mad that I had to wait a year, you know, like because a little kid doesn't understand. Well, they've got the movie. Clearly it's done. I just saw all these clips from it. (laughs) I want to watch it now, but most people, you know, most younger people, when they saw back to the future Two, back to the future three was available to watch right then. Right. And then the trailer makes even less sense because yeah. you can just watch three right yeah, away. I'm about to put that tape in. I don't need to see this trailer. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's literally the next thing on the Netflix queue. I don't yeah. need... Well, though, it's not because... Well, the start of this year, I was actually lucky enough to see all three in the theaters. They showed them in Japan. Um, but I thought, okay, I'll quickly rewatch two for this podcast. Netflix here only has one and three. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know why. But um, so I, I just watched Project 88 instead, so I still feel like I had it fresh in my mind. I am wondering. Wow, um, there's something I didn't think anyone would ever do. Like, watch the real first movie, then our goofy ass remake of the second one, and then the real. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. That's how Luke's rolling it this time. <laughs> he did watch them earlier this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've watched them recently enough in my memory that it wasn't an issue. But yeah. <laughs> But um, we've mentioned on this podcast before how I would, like, tape Westerns at 3 in the morning. And I, I really don't know why, because I don't like Westerns. This might be why I was doing that, because it would be about the time I was doing that. Right. It might have been the trailer that I was like, I need to be ready for, like, the Western vibe. I need to know, know what cowboys are. <laughs> yeah, because I actually did need to wait that year, so or whatever it was. <laughs> ah. See, my granddad was super into Westerns. So I think this was the one I watched, the, the third one, sorry was the one I watched the most as a kid, because he was kind of into it. So I've got a lot more nostalgia for three than most people seem to. Yeah. I, is is it basically just like Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale were like, we like Westerns? Is it? There's a big thing in the <laughs> 80s, like Transformers would do a cowboy episode, G.I. Joe would do a cowboy episode, because the kids in the 80s didn't give a shit about Westerns, but the old men who were making the stuff for the kids... Loved westerns from their childhood. Yeah, I remember people telling me I should see Young Guns, and it was good, but I didn't want to see Young Guns. I think that was like a year, or about the same time as Back to the Future too. Right. <laughs> so yeah, this it's being made for like you guys who are like eight and ten, but it's being made by middle-aged guys who loved cowboys when they were kids. <laughs>
But just to veer off, not well, actually, we're still on topic because we're talking to you. But um, you just did the last blockbuster, and it seems like kind of a similar nostalgia for something like Back to the Future too, or a blockbuster. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, there actually is quite a connection there. Um, and and that was that was the project you did after '88, was it, or were you like in progress? Yeah, so that's a it's a feature documentary. So that started. Uh, I started working on that at the beginning of 2017. So it's okay. coming up on four years um, that that was going on. And Project 88 took like a month. Because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I only gave people a week to do their scenes. And then it took me a few weeks to stitch it all together and put it out. But okay. that was very much just a how, how fast can we do this? We all thought the pandemic was going to be over. You know, this was in April we all were, we were so sure that by summertime, <laughs> I was like, we need to do something fast while everybody's got time on their hands. Um, but yeah, uh, the last blockbuster has been in the works for years and years because um, it's a documentary and we were following this, this blockbuster video that's here in Oregon where I live. And when we started, there were still 12 blockbuster videos left. And so we followed them for years as they became the last blockbuster, the only uh-huh. one outstanding. So it was a pretty big undertaking. Yeah, I'm coming from a weird perspective. The last time I was in the States was 2010, when, when there were still a lot of blockbusters still. Um, and I... I, I them were really closing. Yeah, I'd usually go just looking... I, I go looking for the previously viewed videos. I, I didn't rent, really. I, I like to, you know, hoard. But, uh, <laughs> but um, it's weird. In Japan, people still... You can actually still have sort of that experience. It's, of course, the Japanese version. But uh, a five-minute walk from my house, I can go to a rental place that's very much like a Blockbuster. Yeah, there's really. one just up the street from here. Yeah. I mean, you were, ta- you, you were talking about, the what, spend the 200 yen to rent Back to Future 2 if you needed to. But <laughs> well, yeah, that would have been through Apple. Uh, oh, okay. Through Amazon, though. Well, so. okay, the, the, yeah. the telling tale, too. But, yeah, it's interesting. In Japan, I guess people still, for some reason, like to rent physical media. It's because everyone here is really old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so we never had a Blockbuster in my hometown. I only had one my, where my grandparents lived. So I never really noticed them closing. Because mm. they closed while I was, like, not living near one. But I definitely, as a kid, we regularly used to go and visit, and I would pick out some obscure monster movie that no one's heard of, and we'd watch that or something. And I remember the first time I went into a blockbuster like in the late '80s, just whoa, this is crazy. But there is that thing of um, I, I, I think uh, again, I haven't actually seen it, but I think you had Lloyd Kaufman from a uh, Trauma just like railing on blockbusters because he had those memories of those like previous mom and pop ones, which right. which I do too, and. Um, I re- yeah, I feel like that was the real gold. <laughs> oh, we, that's what we had in my hometown. Um, so we had a local cinema, which was, like, tiny. Like, you, most people have TVs bigger than those screens nowadays. <laughs> and they had built in next door the video shop. And that was where we would rent movies in my hometown. Um, because we, had, we I lived literally in the smallest city in England. It's where Hot Fuzz was filmed. So, yeah, we had, like, a real tiny little mum and pop video store. Might even have still been... Well, no, the cinema was still open. I think the video store had closed when I left the UK. But yeah, they were still going really late. When I was a teenager, we didn't even have uh, any kind of video store or theaters or anything. I lived in a really, really small town with... They just had a gas station 
and there was a restaurant that my dad owned. I lived at the restaurant and washed dishes and stuff, but um, the gas station actually rented videos because there were no other shops. So I could walk like a half a mile down and I'd take all the bottles and cans to return for the nickels that they would give you. And you could walk down, return your bottles and cans, and then go pick out a VHS tape and walk all the way back home and then make sure you had to rewind it because they didn't, it's not like Blockbuster, they didn't have the, the fee if you didn't rewind, so nobody did. <laughs> rewind your tape, but it would like, you know, that's kind of the feeling that we, we talk about in the movie that's totally gone now is the amount of effort it took to watch a movie back then. Yeah. It'd be a whole day experience to like get, you know, find some change in the couch, walk down to the place, pick out the movie, walk home, put it in the VCR, rewind it, walk, fast forward through the previews if you didn't like them. And then you'd finally get to see the movie and then it would end up being like some terrible movie because <laughs> you also couldn't watch the trailers, you know, on online or anything. You just had to go by the box art. Yeah. Like, oh, this has a, it's got a cartoon of a dragon on it. Maybe it's cool. Oh, <laughs> nope. It's terrible. Nope. It's that piece dragon. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember those days. I fell for that one. <laughs> yeah. Cause like you say, it, would, it was an event. It was like this Sunday, my parents have said we can rent a film. So we go to the place, we buy the film, we go back, maybe we're going to eat dinner in the living room, we're going to sit down and watch it. And yeah, if you picked a shit film, then tough titties. <laughs> and I remember always giving, uh, and Luke will especially think, no way, but yeah, I'd always I'd watch that night, and then the next morning I'd, oh, I should watch it again to get my money's worth before we take it I back. De- I did that a few times, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And once DVD came out, it would be like, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch every special feature. Then I'm going to watch it again with the director's commentary before I have to bring it back. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) There's something we said for physical media. Um, And and I was talking to someone a few days ago, one of of Luke and my coworkers, but just uh, they were predicting, you know, give it 30 years and maybe this sort of thing will be back. It's sort of a vinyl sort of niche where it's, you know, actually you can sustain it, but it's, it's certainly not. I guess going to be something for everybody again because why would it it's real easy to do it otherwise well, yeah, i'm a big uh, video games guy and i still if i can i much prefer to buy it in a box with like some nice artwork i can plug it in have that experience like digital is convenient but it's just not the same hate having to change the disc <laughs> <laughs> yep yep four games that are all digital and you can just switch between them and then there's that one oh, i gotta go get the disc out and put it in i'm not gonna play that if, it, if it's like something like you know like a multiplayer shooter or something i, I try and buy that digitally because i know i'm gonna want to like play it for 20 minutes then switch to something else right but yeah yeah i know it's like i have to get up and walk the two meters to my tv and change it <laughs> i've already sat down i guess i'll just play whatever's in there <laughs> yeah the future has we are the the little fat guys from wally aren't we <laughs> <laughs> What was the vibe making the documentary, though? Making about kind of what was originally just a quirky, you know, fading thing turning into the actual last one. Was it, like, kind of depressing? Was it, like, inspiring in some weird way? How, what was the uh, sort of on-the-ground feeling? It was. It's very hopeful. Like, the it, when you see the movie, you'll, you'll see the, the manager of the store. Her name is Sandy, and she's just this lovely woman who has been the manager there since 2004 uh, when there were 9,000 locations and it was Blockbuster was the king of video rental. And she's been with the company now all the way down till she's the manager of the only one left. And 
the way she, we kind of view that process through her eyes and it's like, it's never sad, you know, so it'll close, but then, you know, she, the way she runs it, it's like, they're the last one corporate is gone. So when a store closes, it's, it's almost good for them because they'll get like the old computers that have all the parts that they need to fix their computers and they get the inventory and they'll send a, a blockbuster sign that they can put up that, you know, you can't get a new one. Nobody's making right. new blockbuster stuff. So, and most of the ones that close, it was like, well, it's just time. You know, we were kind of putting them out of their misery. They've been hanging on for probably too long. And for whatever reason, this one, there's still customers, there's still people renting movies and there's still, you know, this, this upbeat attitude and it comes from the, the manager, but she has this, this way of making it like, like a family. Like she's just happy that they can provide jobs for these teenagers that work there. And if people want to keep coming in and most people come in and they just like take a selfie and they buy a soda and they leave, you know, nobody's, it's maybe half and half with people who rent movies and people who are just looky lose who, Oh, it's the last blockbuster. I got to go. I got to take a picture. And people come from far. Somebody came from Spain just to visit the store. And it's, that's crazy. People drive from all across the country. And so there is that kind of the, the good feeling, the good vibes of, of like, we're, we're keeping this thing going because people want it. Not, not just out of stubbornness, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're going to be the last one, but it's like, as long as people want it, they're going to try to keep it open. Um, and that's not to say there's no risk of it closing. You know, it's always, um, there's always a risk of that if they stop being able to break even, they're not super concerned with being profitable, but if it starts losing money, um, no, nobody's going to keep yeah. a blockbuster open just for the, the nostalgia of it. It is a, business um but also there's um there still is a corporation that owns the name blockbuster that they have to renew with every year and so there's no guarantee that they're going to be around next year because they haven't signed that agreement yet so that that keeps happening and so it's this constant struggle of like keep hope alive keep video renting alive or like is it gonna just become a, a baby gap or whatever shop they would put in there. You know, it's, it's sad when they close, but it's very exciting that this one gets to stay open and gets to be, you know, the, as they all close, this one gets more and more attention, right? Because it becomes, Oh, first we're the last one in the States and then the ones in Australia close. So now we're the last one in the world. And it's just, it's crazy to people that there are still any. So yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings. And then there's a lot of people like Lloyd Kaufman who hated Blockbuster. They don't care that this one is a mom and pop shop. They, <laughs> they just still hate it. And that's fine too. Yeah. No, I just, I, uh, reading some of the, the, um, stuff about the movie, I was like, yeah, I want to go to Target every Tuesday and buy all the new releases. That sounds fun. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That, that, that her job has changed because it used to be, you know, Blockbuster corporate would, bulk buy all these movies and they would just show up at the store. There'd be distributors right. that would, you know, Oh, Titanic came out. Great. Here's a box of VHSs of Titanic. And you guys have to, you know, put barcodes on them and put them on the shelves to put them in those blockbuster cases. But now 
it's like so independent and so DIY and such like a small local business that just happens to have the name Blockbuster. Like she has to go, you know, on Tuesday mornings, she has to go to like Target and Walmart and whatever other stores we have because they know her and they won't let her buy 10 copies because they only have 10 copies. <laughs> so she has to go to each store and buy two copies <laughs> until she has enough copies of whatever, like Tenet just came out. So probably that, but she'll go and buy them all, take them back and unwrap them and put them on the shelf and do that whole thing. And then once they're done being rented, they get the previously viewed sticker on them and they go in the bin and then I go in and buy them. And it's, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's, it's weird to think that that's how much it's changed because, you know, at one point it was such a well-oiled machine that all, all of that stuff was corporate run. And now it's this one person who just goes and buys all the movies. <laughs> so Project 88, we can just find on YouTube. Where can folks find this one? Um, depending on what country you're in, I'm not sure about Japan because we don't have Japanese subtitles yet, but it's it's on Amazon, iTunes. Uh, I think Vimeo is worldwide. Fandango, Google Play, all the digital rental platforms where you can watch a movie. And if you happen to live in Bend, Oregon, it's available to rent at Blockbuster Video. Amazing. <laughs> As it must. Yeah. <laughs> and um, are there any uh, websites you'd like to direct some folks to? Uh, sure. I mean, Project 88, we got, um, what did I get? BTTFTOO.com, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gone to it in a while, but you can find Project 88 on, on YouTube if you just search for uh, Project 88. Yeah, I, I sent Luke the link and it took about two seconds and I was like, why did I send him the link? He could do the same thing, but just as a reminder, I guess. <laughs> it's a play Project 88. Yeah, you could probably do that if you have that rolling. So. <laughs> yeah, for, for the last blockbuster, it's lastblockbustermovie.com. We got the trailer there and then links to every place you can get it. I can tell you it's not yet on Japanese Amazon. I just looked. <laughs> it's good to need those <laughs> subtitles, I guess. <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something where I think a Japanese audience actually might be interested in that because, again, there's that weird disconnect where that culture or that still business culture here, yeah. still actually exists. So seeing this. Yeah, that's so strange. Yeah. I, we still have Tower Records. We still have Toys R Us. It's like, you know. Yeah, I love, I go to Japan a lot, actually. I, I played in bands and toured there every year for a long time. And we would always go to Tower Records and it would always be like, oh, it's still here. And we'd come back a couple of years later and it's still here. It's got strong. And come back a few years later. And it's like when people in America stopped buying CDs, but vinyl came back, you'd go back to Japan. They're still selling CDs. Who is buying CDs? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but uh, I've got the full stack of Taylor Swift CDs over there. <laughs> I love it. Why not? Physical media forever. Yep. But uh, yeah, I, I have noticed the tower, the local one. Now we're kind of noggin over kind of countryside, but I've noticed that they finally put all their rock and pop and soul and everything and rap and just smooshed it all together. And, and it's getting thinner and thinner. And now they got a big K-pop section where they use like a large part of the store for like five bands. So, you know, they're, they are adapting on their own and not, not, well, if you're into classical, their classical section is pr still pretty top notch, but I, I've noticed a little bit of atrophy. Even, finally, even for the Japanese physical media, because like I said, Japan's 10 years behind. It's got to take eventually. Yeah. Well, the weirdest thing is Japan's got such fast internet yeah. that you'd think this would be the first place that went digital, but they just refuse. Well, they 
no one pirates in Japan. It's like you, you yeah. rent or you buy, you know, no one does that sort of thing. So, yeah, they... Uh, again, with the whole pandemic thing, we haven't had any actual lockdowns. We haven't had any mandates because people just do it. <laughs> yeah. Just, they were yeah. wearing masks there for 30 years. If somebody was sick, you wear a mask. Yep. Yeah, the first week of April, our boss was like, here's a mask, put it on, and well, that's what we do now. That's what everybody does. I got one cheeky eight-year-old who won't wear his mask. That's about it. <laughs> I got one who always chews through his mask. That's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> like I won't say his name on the podcast, but you'll know him when I say his name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I already know now. <laughs> But um, thanks. Uh, I did want to actually go on that blockbuster tangent, of course. But uh, was there any other final points anyone wanted to go for Back to the Future too before we uh, hang out? Yeah, we were day? talking about Back to the Future, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, both are such fascinating topics. <laughs> yeah. I think as a trilogy, they hold up really well and shouldn't be touched. I don't want a Back to the Future four. I don't want a remake. Yeah. They are so of their time. If we were ever going to get a new one, it should have been in 2015, I guess. But it's 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 about the 80s, the 50s, and the future. If you make it any other time, why bother? It's not Back to the Future. I, I, I'm perfectly happy for more time travel films to do a similar thing. But just don't... There's no need to call it Back to the Future. Mm. We talked about it a few months ago, just with, like, the Terminator. It's like, just, don't, just do a new concept. Don't remake the Terminator. Not that I think... that I don't think anyone's planning that at the moment. We're just predicting one. But... Well, yeah, we've predicted if they do another Terminator now, it will probably be a re- reboot. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just keep making them. Yeah. But, yeah, the, apparently there's no money in new ideas at the moment. So. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no money in making films at the moment, but <laughs> give it a year or two. Okay. Uh, Luke, just for fun, I'm, I'm going to time you today. I'm going to see how long you take telling people where they can find us. Oh, okay. Doing my okay, I'm corporate stop watching spiel. Him. Just for funsies. Okay, ready, set, go. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. If you want to hear more of my voice, you can find my Monster Hunter podcast at Monster Mash Pod or my Pokemon podcast at Luke Loves PKMN. And if you've enjoyed the music you've heard in this podcast, you can find more of Matt's music at rovingstagemedia.bandcamp.com. 18.13. God, I would me. I would have just gotten through the podcast <laughs> yeah. letters by that point. If I let Matt do it, he's like, M-L-S- <laughs> I can't F- spell. S- <laughs> pod. And then he like looks really excited. and like, yeah, but you have to explain what those letters mean. I usually <laughs> forget to even say the pod part, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Taylor, it's been great talk to you. You're, you're a man that has just uh, lived in this movie, I guess, deeper than a lot of people have. So, uh it's it's good to pick your brain a bit on this one. <laughs> I suppose the one question I have, when you finished editing Project 88, did you still like Back to the Future? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I can imagine it's like... All new life into it, you know? Oh, I got good. to see it through... I got to see it through, like, 300 people's eyes, you know? And it, you see, in Project 88, you can really see in all these different scenes how much all these people love Back to the Future. And it's all, you know, for different reasons and from different cultures. Some of our scenes are in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. shot in countries I've, I've never been to, probably will never be to, but we all love the same thing. And, and that, that's kind of why we wanted to do it. That's kind of the point is like, there's more that connects us all than divides us. And we all love some of the same things and there's good in the world. It's been a rough year, but you know, when I look back and think, 
Yeah, we did remake Back to the Future 2 in the middle of all this, and it was like a joyful thing that made a lot of people smile. So Nice. Yes, I, I appreciate the movies even more after spending a full month watching nothing but clips of Back to the Future 2. <laughs> Made in a garage. <laughs> you could tell a lot of people loved it because I saw so many DeLoreans. And, like, the hat and the jacket and the shoes, like... Oh, yeah. Those are some big fans. <laughs> okay. So, uh, again, thanks for chatting with us today. And, Luke, for our listeners and, the, and those wanting to watch Project 88 or uh, going back to the future or the past or the alternate 1985 or wherever they want to go um just jump off the roof it'll be simpler Humanoids.